Let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians where we've left off. If you haven't been here for the past few months, then I'll let you know. We've been going through the book of 2 Corinthians and having a great time doing it. <clears throat> we find ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is going to be a, a, a fun little bit of scripture. Um, and the reason being is there's great hope for us. Thank God, right? <laughs> I was like, well, thank God. There is great hope for you. There's great hope for me. And uh, this just tells us, and we're about to read how the best is yet to come. Thank God. God's got good things for you on this planet. He's got a destiny for you on this earth. He's got a mission. He's got a purpose. You are now the children of God. And yet there's something even better coming. Thank God. There's something even better coming on this planet. And there's something even far beyond what you can ever imagine coming when we get to see Jesus. And we're excited about that. You know, it, sometimes uh, there's, there's, always, there's always, as you're driving down the highway of spirituality, there's always somebody in either ditch. No matter what issue you're on, there's somebody in that ditch and there's somebody in that ditch. Whether you're in the... The, if, you're, if you're in this area where we're, where we're talking about heaven and we're talking about the life to come, you've got folks there that are so wrapped up in how heaven will be like that they've pretty much resigned themselves to be miserable here and just can't wait to go. Then you have folks on the other side that are so tired of those people and they're so annoyed with those people in their YouTube videos that they've gone to the other side. And uh, don't want to think about heaven. Think that that's just a waste of time. Don't want to think about eternity. They want to say, well, let's just, we're here, we're here, let's just handle this. But you know, the scripture is full of, of an expectation for what's to come, uh, of a knowledge that there are rewards to come, of a knowledge of what uh, awaits us when we come. And in fact, the scripture talks about godly, righteous people uh, being full of hope, for that glory to come, being full of expectation for the Lord's return, anticipating it, being excited for it, loving his return, as the scripture says, looking for it anxiously. These are all things in the scripture that are good. Now, I believe looking for it anxiously doesn't mean that you've got a bunker somewhere in the Rockies where you've, you've scouted out, you'll probably be, uh, because it's so high up, you'll be the first one up. I, I don't think that's what God's looking for. Because when Jesus talked about it, he, he told a couple of parables about it and said he'd really like to come back and find people doing what he put them here to do. I've said it before, but if you're at your job and the, you hear the boss is coming, uh, you, you know, and he puts you in a job that's important and you're meant to be busy, uh, he doesn't want you to sit at the door wagging your tail like a puppy waiting for him to come back. He wants to come back finding you doing what you're supposed to be doing. If you want to impress him, that's what you'll do. Thank God God's not waiting for us to impress him. <laughs> but at the same, in the same sense, uh, God's not expecting us just to throw our hands up and say, well, this doesn't matter. We're waiting for the second coming. God expects you to do what he put you here to do. The church plays a vital role in these last days. God's not going to use angels to get it done. He's using the church. And so you need to realize that you've got a vital part to play, and that's not setting up tents, waiting for, and having rapture parties and all of that. That is getting to the business of what he puts you here to do. That being said, 
It gives you hope and encouragement. And all through the scriptures, especially when the church was being greatly persecuted, we find scriptures that say, uh, the night is almost over, the day is at hand. We find scriptures, and, and the answer to that was, the night is almost over, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. You find them saying, don't worry, salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Now, why would the apostle say to a, say to a group of believers that are already saved, why would he say to them, salvation is nearer than when we first believed? Because it was a salvation that took place when you were born again. That's, the end, that's, that's who you really are. That's your spirit. It was made new. It was made alive in Christ Jesus. You were washed by the blood. You were born again, born anew, set free, saved. But there is a salvation to come. There's a glory to come. We're, we're not fully there yet. There is a time coming when you'll put this old body aside and you'll take up the eternal. Salvation is here. However, there is a salvation to come when the Lord comes and rescues you, when the Lord comes and redeems that body that he paid for. You see, he paid for all of you. He got, your spirit is made new right now. It's never going to die. The, the last death you ever died, you already died. The last death you'll ever die, you already died. But that body, it's obviously not perfect. And I don't mean to offend anybody with that statement, but I think we can all agree that except for chance, we all could use some work here. <laughs> the Bible calls this body a mortal body. Mortal means bound to die eventually. If you, don't, if you don't survive till the Lord comes back, whether you do or don't, we get to trade this one in for another one. And we're going to read in 2 Corinthians 5 about the hope that we have. I want to I remind you how we left off last week. The Apostle Paul has gone through a list of things that he's had to go through to get the gospel out. And there have been some hard things he's had to go through. And he says, that is not even worth comparing to the weight of glory that is awaiting me. These temporary things. And then he says, we don't look at the things that are seen because the things that are seen are temporary. They're going to pass. They are subject to change. Anything you see, subject to change. It's not permanent. He says, we don't look at the things which are seen, which are temporal, but we look to the things that are unseen, which are eternal. The things you can't see are the eternal things. So they're the things that are far more weighty. They're the things that are worth more. I'm going to make a simple statement here. I believe in a God that supplies your needs. I believe that if you need a, a vehicle to take your kids to school, I believe in the Heavenly Father that, that has that for you. However, that is something that you can see. So if that's taking up all your prayer time, you might be wasting a lot of your prayer time. That's not the only thing to focus on, you understand? The things that you can't see are worth far more. But don't worry, Jesus said, if you seek the kingdom, all those things are added to you. 
So don't worry about it and say, well, am I allowed to pray? Of course you are. Who else are you going to talk to? He said, if you need anything, you talk to him. You bring all your, and this is the word he used, and I'll use it because it sounds a little bit more spiritual than what I just said. But he said, bring your petitions. Petitions are things that are needed. You bring those petitions to the Lord with what? With thanksgiving. And God, thank God, he answers those prayers. But I'm telling you that, that unless you have a reality and a revelation of the unseen, the seen will be a little bit further than you can grasp. You need, to, you need to focus on what you can't see. You need to focus on the kingdom, which is invisible. The things that you can't see are worth far more than the things you can. So does that mean stop praying for the things you can see? No, 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 no. It just means don't let that take all your focus. There's bigger things in life than what you can see. So he says, the things that we see are temporary. And so when we've, when he's been put in prison, when he's been beaten, when he's been threatened with death, and in fact, sentenced to death, he said these things are not even worth comparing to the glory that's awaiting. And he goes on to say this, for we know, chapter five, verse one, for we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Do you notice the word he uses here for your house is tent? Now, if you are living in a tent and that's your permanent dwelling, you would be considered homeless, wouldn't you? Nobody looks at a tent and says, this will last for my generation to my next generation to the generation after. Only if you're taking it out every other camping trip. We're talking about something that's your permanent dwelling. And a tent is not a permanent dwelling. It's temporary. He calls your body a tent. It's your house right now, but it will one day be torn down. But look at the difference. One, your body he calls a tent. This earthly body he calls a tent. It will be torn down. He goes on and says, but we have a house not made with hands, which is eternal. Praise God. So though this thing is withering, though this thing is wrinkling, though this thing gets tired, you've got something waiting for you that will never wear out. Thank God. Well, that's exciting. Yes, yes. Then he says this in verse 2. For indeed in this house we groan, longing, to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Now, this is a man who has a revelation of something that maybe we don't have. A revelation, not of how miserable his body is, but a revelation of how good it's going to be. That's okay to be excited about that. That's okay to, to say, I can't wait. Now, I'm not talking about being miserable until, until Jesus comes back, but I'm talking about it's okay to be excited that there is a day coming when you get an eternal dwelling place that this, this old body gets done away with and you get the, the body that you were designed to have, the body that Adam and Eve had when they walked in the garden without flaw, without sickness, without pain, made to live forever, built to last. Thank God, that's cool. Eternal in the heavens, longing to be clothed, uh, dwelling from heaven. In verse 3, he says, Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. Thank God. That's good, right? You recall when Adam and Eve sinned, what was their first realization? They were naked. You see, they were clothed with something that we can't quite describe. We could best describe it as the glory of the Lord. They were clothed with something 
that sin did away with. And they knew they were naked. The first thing they did was put leaves on. First thing God did was kill an animal. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And in a view to what he would later do with his own son, Jesus, he shed blood to cover their shame. Put fur on them so that they could get rid of the leaves and they could wear something a little bit more permanent. But there was a lot of symbolism there. It says when we get this new clothing, we will not be found naked. Here's the cool part. If sin revealed us as naked, stripped away our heavenly covering, then we have to believe the scripture that says, and we've quoted this before, but the scripture says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And like we said a few weeks ago, if all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, if God took care of the sin, what's left? You no longer fall short of his glory. And so when we enter this body, which is not touched by sin, it's not uh, under the curse. It is in a, it's, I mean, this is the new covenant. We're already in the new covenant, but this body is going to be in a new reality. It's not bound to the earth. It's not bound to the curse. It will be eternal. You won't be found naked. It will be without sin, without flaw, without illness. He goes on and says, for indeed, while we were in this tent, we groan being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed but to be clothed so that what is mortal in other words what is bound to die will be swallowed up by life that's not a reversal of what we're used to on the planet see what we're used to is somebody and somebody will say at their funeral oh they were so full of life the end of the story was they were full of life until they got sick and died the story we see on the planet, unless you're a believer, what you'd see is people full of life, seemingly, swallowed up by death. It's pretty depressing if you think of it that way. But think about it, for a believer, it's opposite. These death-bound bodies, these bodies of death, for that's what they are. The moment you are born, you start the process not only of growing, but of dying. Things stop working eventually. Skin, wrinkles, eyesight gets dim. Now, I'm not talking about you because maybe you're like Moses. And Moses says, oh, by the time he went on to see Jesus, or Jesus, when he says to see God, by that time he's an old man and his eyes aren't dim and his body's strong and he just goes on to be with the Lord. Thank God I could believe you could be that way too. But here's the deal. Though this body is bound to die, Unless Jesus comes before then, all of these bodies will be put back into the dirt where they came from. But here's the deal. These death-bound bodies will be swallowed up by life. (laughs) You notice the little fish doesn't swallow the big fish. The big fish swallows the little fish, right? What's bigger in this story? Death is not the big victor. Life is the victor. Jesus got rid of death once and for all. Do you know the scripture says that that through the gospel, immortality has been brought to light? Immortality, that's one of the coolest words I've ever heard, has been brought to light, not by medicine, not by science, but by the gospel. Death, where is your sting? 
Oh, grave, where is your victory? Thank God we will be swallowed up in the end by life. This is a good end of the story. Thank God. We've talked about this before, but it's okay to miss people. I miss people. I miss my father. I miss my friends who've gone on to be with the Lord. But you know, I am not overwhelmed with a deep grief for I know that I will see them again. It's okay to feel the pain of missing someone. That's natural. That's normal. But like we said, I believe it was last week, be assured they're not missing you and don't feel bad about it. Because to them, they're in a moment of eternity. They're outside of time. You're right behind them. Grandma may already be with Jesus, but you are right two steps behind her. She hasn't had time to think about you. She's in the presence of the Lord. What is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose, do you know what that means? That's your purpose is to be swallowed in his life. For he who prepared us for this purpose is God who gave to us the spirit as a pledge. Do you know what a pledge is? It's a guarantee. The Holy Spirit is your pledge is your pledge that he's going to come through here, that you are, your ticket's already booked, you're, you've got a seat on the train, you're there. If you've got the Holy Spirit, he's been pledged to you, and you've got a guarantee there's a body waiting for you. In fact, he says this, not only is there a body being prepared for you, you're being prepared for this purpose. Isn't that cool? I've always thought that God was somewhere preparing this place for me. We've, we've talked about that, where Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and that can mean many different things. But, you know, we've always talked about that. But he says here, not only has he prepared a, a house for you in the heavens, but he's preparing you for this purpose. You're being prepared for eternity. Scripture says he put eternity in our hearts. But you're also being prepared for eternity and everything we do on this planet is preparing us for a greater purpose. Can I shake up some religious thoughts here for just a moment? We are not bound. The scripture does not say you will spend eternity in heaven. Bum, bum, bum. Says he creates a new heaven and a new earth. And who knows what else? You're not, yeah. New Jerusalem, you're not just bound to sit on a cloud eating cream cheese playing harps. There's going to be people, you have something to do. Now, there's nothing wrong. Uh, we, could, we would be satisfied sitting around his throne singing holy, holy, holy for millennia. That would be fine with me. But the scripture implies that there are things waiting for you. In fact, it talks about crowns. And I know crowns seem like a nice reward. It's not just a fancy hat you wear. Crowns also denote some degree of authority. There'll be something for you to do in this next life. Will you go to heaven? Absolutely. But I believe there's more than that. New heaven, new earth. We won't go too far into that, will we? Let's just go to the next verse. Therefore, being always of good courage. This sort of reality is supposed to cheer you up a little bit. <laughs> Sometimes we get too wrapped up in our 
death-bound bodies. And we start to get wrapped up and if you're not careful, caught up, caught up in a, in a reality of, of just this planet and the earth. And I know we're supposed to be here. We're here for a reason. But if you're not careful, you forget that there's something bigger than that. There's something more than that. This isn't it. This isn't everything. He says, we remember these things. We're of good courage. Knowing that while we were at home in the body, we were absent from the Lord. It doesn't mean the Lord's not with you. In fact, Jesus said, behold, I, I'm with you always, even in the end of the age. I'll never leave you or forsake you. But there is a physical being with him that while we're in this body, we don't get the full realization of yet. But there'll be a day when you get that. There'll be a day when you will realize what it's like to be, not just in a spiritual sense with him, but in every sense, full of his presence, full of his glory, knowing that he's right there. While we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. Often we've quoted it the other way, and the Bible does talk about it the other way. But uh, in, in the next couple of verses, it'll actually say it the other way. But remember, it says, while we're here in this body, there's a degree of absence from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. See, we were created to walk by faith. That's who we really are. We're not created to walk just by sight. And that means, although it's tempting to do so, the rest of the world walks by what they can see, hear, feel, touch, taste, and smell. You're not the same. You were created a spiritual being. You've been made alive in the spirit. There's a new reality to you. Watch how Jesus walked. Do you, do you look at Jesus' life and, and, and all you can see is a man who, although he has full capacity, he, has, he, he is able to use his five physical senses to the best of their ability, he obviously doesn't depend on them for everything. This is a man who could perceive people's thoughts. See, if you're depending on what you can hear, you can only hear what people say out loud. But if you're like Jesus, in tune with the Spirit, you know what's going on even if you didn't hear it. Because you heard it in the Spirit. Now, don't get crazy and flaky on me there. I imagine there'd be some people go, I was in a crowd and I heard what they were saying. And, and we could get all sorts of trouble there too. But Jesus could perceive in the spirit what they were what they were saying. Jesus went through times. I mean, if you read when he went and fasted in the desert for 40 days and was tempted by the devil and resisted temptation by the word of God, look at what it says. It says after 40 days, he became hungry. After 40 days, he became hungry. It doesn't say after 40 days, he finally couldn't take it anymore. After 40 days, he says, boy, I should probably eat something. That's a man who's wrapped up in another reality. His disciples at one point in, in the book of John, when he's ministering to the woman at the well, and he prophesies to her and he, he ministers to her, she goes back convinced that this man must be something special, possibly the Messiah, goes back and tells the city, the whole city comes to see Jesus. And the disciples say, Master, you need something to eat? And he says, 
I've got food you don't know about. And they say, he must have, had, when did he eat something? I asked, did you sneak him something? Did he have something under his robe? They were so bound to this reality that he had to say to them, I've got food you know nothing of. It has nothing to do with what I can taste. But there's something bigger than this. We're talking about a guy who said, listen, he said, I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear him say. Now, come on. If you're walking just by what you can see with these two things, you don't see the father do a thing. Right? Do you think, do you think the father was just walking around like a ghost and, and Jesus just was the only one that could see him? Or do you think he had to see with the eyes of the spirit? Do you think he had to depend on his spirit rather than his physical senses? For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and we prefer rather to be absent from the body and at home with the Lord. You remember in the book of Philippians where the apostle Paul said, and he was, what many scholars say he was in probably the worst prison you could possibly be in in the Roman Empire. Terrible place, uh, a converted sewer that, didn't fully get converted from a sewer and was used as a prison, uh, terrible place. And he says that this, in this letter to the Philippian church, he says, he says, I don't know which to choose, whether to stay or to go. He knows, if I, he says, if I could go home and be with Jesus and that'd be much better. So I, that would be the best thing. But I think I need to stay with you because I need, for your sake, I'll stick around. He says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So he had a full understanding that to be with Jesus is a far better choice. But I believe that God has a purpose for you while you're here. So you don't just go home and go, take me now, Lord. We've all had that moment. We've all probably had that conversation with him. <laughs> right? He's just like, okay, that's it. Just go ahead, I'm, I'm done. You know, Elijah had that conversation. Elijah most likely manic depressive, bipolar, ran down the mountain after just seeing God do the most amazing miracle, one of the most amazing miracles in the Old Testament, runs down the mountain, outruns the king's chariot, tells the sky to rain after three years and it obeys him, and then he goes in the desert and cries and says, kill me now, for I'm all alone. Your greatest opportunity to be depressed will be after some pretty big victories. And he's just in this place where he all of a sudden wants to die. So maybe you've had that conversation, Lord, just go ahead and take me. But I'm gonna tell you, he has got a purpose for you here and you'll be there soon enough. You've got eternity there, don't worry. Don't be in a rush. Finish your job here, but it's okay this is scripture right here. It's okay to long for it. It's okay to be excited about it. It's okay to talk to one another and not feel that the person's going to go home and, and, and jump off a, a, a five-story building. If, if you just say to your friend, you know, can't you just wait for that new body? I, tr I, I promise you, if you say that to me, I won't call the suicide prevention line. I'll just say, yeah, that's going to be good. 
It's okay to know you're supposed to be here for a long time, but still be excited about the next, next stage of life. <laughs> we prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home. We're going to tackle next week. It's talking about the great judgment seat, and that's some cool and exciting stuff. I know it doesn't sound cool and exciting, but sure is. But it, for right now, can we turn to Romans 8? And I want to read some things that will back up what we just read. In fact, if you could hold your place in Romans 8 and also turn to 1 John, is that, does it feel like children's church all, like all over again? We're doing those drills. We're going to find out who knows their Bible or who knows where the table of contents is. Thank God. First John chapter 3. Oh, I love this verse. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. The NIV, and I don't often quote the NIV, but I'll do it tonight. The, nothing wrong. If you have the NIV, don't be convicted or condemned. The NIV says how great a love the Father has lavished on us. And I do like that use of word. See how great love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. We are children of God, right? Let's say we're going to be someday. We are children of God. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we, now we are children of God. Everybody say now. I don't often make you say things, so you're not used to that. But now we are children of God. It has not appeared as yet what we will be. So we don't quite know what we're going to look like. It has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Well, that's a cool thought. So he says, we don't know what we're going to look like. We talk about this new body. We talk about this redeemed body. Here's the deal. Jesus died for all of you. The Bible says that you have been purchased with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. He paid for that part too. When your spirit got made brand new, the Bible says it was recreated in the likeness of him. It looks like him, but you know what? You didn't get a new face. You didn't get a new body as much as you might have wanted one. Boy, I'd be, I'd be praying the salvation prayer every week if I could get a new body. <laughs> we don't get the new body yet. That's coming though. And every time, every time we get into that place, where you're feeling like, oh, when, I mean, just, oh, uh, am I getting enough sleep? Am I, you know, I'm eating too much. I'm eating the wrong thing. Just remember, this is temporary. You've got a glorious body awaiting you. When we see him, we're going to look like him. For we will see him as he is. Not as he was, but as he is. You realize that what John saw 
in Revelation chapter 1 is quite a bit different than what John saw in Luke chapter 23. Jesus, when he walked the earth, looked a certain way. But when John saw him in Revelation 1, he looked kind of freaky. Snow white hair. And I'm not talking about, I'm not <laughs> trying to offend anybody with white hair. I like white hair. But he had white hair. He had eyes like fire. He had feet like bronze that had just come out of the flame. He looked kind of intimidating, so much so that he had to tell John, his, a, a beloved disciple who loved him and rested his head against his chest, he had to say, don't be afraid, John. I don't know what we're going to see when we see him. But the moment we do see him, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians that we will meet him in the air. And we will see him as he is. And we will be changed. Scripture says in that same section of Scripture that those that have already fallen asleep, that have died in Christ, they're going to go down. They're going to come up with some sort of body, and I don't know how that happens because I know that there'll be people whose bodies have long since turned to dust or shark food. But when they come up, they've got something. And we all come up together and meet Jesus in the air. This is not... This is not the, a sci-fi story. This is not some, you know, fantasy tale. I know it sounds far out, but it's real. Well, we believe in a guy that died on a cross and three days later busted out of a tomb. You got to get used to some things that are, that are beyond your version of reality. <laughs> it has not yet appeared what we will look like, but we know we'll look exactly like him. Praise God. Peter said to the church, he said, though you've not seen him, you love him and you believe in him. Which is interesting because surely some people who were reading his letter did see him when he walked the earth. But he's saying, no, you haven't seen him like he is, but you love him. We will see him as he is. Go back to Romans 8 where you held your place, hopefully. We're going to skip around a little bit, if we could. Romans 8, 11 says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Once again, there's that word mortal, which means it's, it's, it's not here to last forever. But that same Spirit that was in Jesus is in you the same spirit that was in Jesus when the grave busted open and soldiers went flying and death was defeated. That same spirit is in you and it will make alive your death-bound body through his spirit who dwells in you. I want to remind you what we said on Sunday. Peter preached in a great sermon. He said, the Lord raised Jesus from the dead for it was impossible for the grave to hold him any longer. So there was something, that spirit inside of Jesus was so full of life that the grave could not possibly hold him any longer. And that's the same spirit that's in you. And the grave won't be able to hold you any more than it held Jesus. Thank God. Goes on and says this. So then, brethren, we're not under obligation, not to the flesh. We are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if the spirit, by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons. Now, don't worry, women. This includes you. It just means that that we all have the same rights. This was written in a culture where the, the daughters didn't have the same rights as the sons. And he says, men and women alike, you have the adoption as sons. You all have the inheritance. So that's good news. He says, we have received, we have received, that's past tense, isn't it? We have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. If you don't know, Abba was not the formal word for father. In fact, the Hebrew word Ab means father, but Abba is much like changing dad to daddy. It was an intimate term. It's something you wouldn't just call somebody that you were from, distant from, but somebody that you were very near to. And because we've got that spirit of adoption as sons, we cry out, Abba, Father. I'm going to skip down just for the sake of time. But he says in verse 18, For I consider... Oh, I only had two verses to read. I could read that. (laughs) Verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Isn't that awesome? For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Do you hear that? It says creation all around us, the mountains, the sea, the animals, and this seems weird, but it's true. They are waiting for our revealing as the sons of God. Now you say, I thought we already were the sons of God. Yes, you are. But there's a revealing to come. We haven't fully stepped into all that we will be. But when we see him, we will be like him. You have to understand that in biblical times, the term son often meant to to carry the same characteristics, nature, and, 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 and everything else of the father. To be the same, to be part of. And so here, when, we, when he says the sons of God, we will be just, we'll, we're not going to be God. <laughs> Thank God he can be God. But we will take on that same, we have that same spirit already. We have his, his DNA in us, but when we see him, something changes and we become like him. And it says in verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Think about what, what we're talking about here. Corruption means that it's, it's, it's entropy, it's not lasting. Like fruit that's been off the vine. The longer it sits, what happens? begins to go bad, it begins to spoil, it begins to get rotten. All of creation is in a state of entropy. It's, it's, it's not going to last forever. It is slowly going away. But here it says this, that there will be a time that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption, where things start and then they die, that'll end into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And that's really, that's our fault. 
I mean, we can blame Adam, but, you know, we followed in his footsteps. Creation is suffering because mankind sinned and brought a curse on the earth. But that curse is not permanent. In fact, Jesus died to begin a whole new era. And there will be a completion of that. There'll be a day when he comes back and there's a kingdom on earth. He rolls up the heavens and the earth like a scroll and he recreates them all. The Bible talks about a time when a lion would lay down with a lamb, when a child, a baby, will reach into a serpent's nest and not be afraid. Have no reason to be afraid. And you as the parent won't be freaking out. It's hard to imagine a time like that. But it's coming. We know that all of creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth together until now. Until now doesn't mean it stops when he writes this letter. It means up until this point. Even as I write this, since the beginning till now, well, since man sinned till now, this has been happening. But he says this, and not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even as we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we've been saved, but hope that is not seen is not hope. Our hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he's already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Let me explain that to you. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that, that I mean, I thought you just, I mean, we just read that we've received the spirit of adoption, right? But now he says we wait eagerly for our adoption. Well, what does that mean? Well, he goes on and explains, you've received the first fruits of the adoption. Stage one, complete. You got a new spirit. You were born again. The part of you that really mattered was made brand new. But there is a completion of the adoption process that's to come. And that's when you get a new body and you get to be forever with the Lord. That's the rest of the story. And it's a good end of the story. You have received stage one, the first fruits of the spirit, the pledge of your adoption. You ha the, the papers have already been signed. You're adopted. But there is a process to come when the adoption is fully completed in you, when you get a new body and you are forever at home with the Lord. That's so cool. And so he says, because of this, we hope for it. And it says, with perseverance, which means that knowing this will help you get through whatever you've had to go through in this planet, in this body, in this life. If you know what's waiting for you, you will persevere with joy. Because what you're doing right now is preparing you. You're being prepared for a glory you can't even imagine. You're being prepared for a reality you can't even comprehend. You're being prepared for a new reality with him forever and ever. And it's better than we ever thought. And it's that good. And we're supposed to look forward to it. It's okay to groan for it. It's okay to get anxious for it. Don't get depressed, but be excited. Oh, I remember my family would all, you know, every now and then we'd go and go on a major road trip, whether it be parents going to speak at a church or uh, whether we'd be going down to visit our relatives in the States, we'd, we'd hit the road. And so I used to think, Dad, why don't we just fly? I used to like flying. That was before September 11th. Flying used to be fun. 
I'm not saying I don't like to be safe, but, you know, we didn't have to take our shoes off and everything else. I used to think, why don't we just fly? Now I understand. Oh, Dad loved to drive. He loved to take the long way to wherever he was going. <laughs> At least that's what he told us, right? We're not lost for taking the scenic route. No, we like to go through the national parks and everything. I remember the days before we'd go, how no matter what chores you had to do, no matter what schoolwork had to be done, and maybe you had to get some extra schoolwork done because you were preparing to go on a trip, it was all worth it because you were getting ready for the big trip and your heart would flutter a little bit every time you'd think about it. You get a little excited. There'd be a little pep in your step because something was waiting for you that was so exciting that whatever you had to deal with in the next couple of days was no big deal because in three days, you get to go on this big trip. That's not even close to the excitement we feel, knowing what's waiting for us. And I'm so happy to tell you that you already, if you have the Spirit of God in you, you have your pledge, you have your tickets, you're booked on the train. He has pledged to you, the adoption papers have been signed, you're just waiting for the next stage to happen. That's something to be excited about. And it's something that will keep you persevering. When you know this is temporary. And while it's temporary, whether at home or absent from the body, I'm going to be pleasing to the Lord. I'm going to be pleasing to Him in everything. So that when I go and look at Him face to face, I can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Thank God for his promise. Thank God for his spirit. Thank God for his pledge. Thank God that he didn't leave us alone. And he has not abandoned us here. There's a hope coming. So I want you to find that place where you're not miserable in this life. But yet, you're excited and anxious. You know, the scripture says, in a good sense... It says you are to be anxiously awaiting his return. Anxiously awaiting. You know, that only happens when you really believe that he's, he's going to do what he said. It only happens when you really believe he is coming. Peter said in the last days, people will fall away saying, where's the promise of his coming? And I'm going to tell you, even believers. You know what? And, and it's, 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 it's other, I mean, it's not like we didn't bring it on ourselves. Every time there's a false hoax where somebody claimed to figure out the, the day, everybody gets their hopes up. Meanwhile, us pastors are saying, well, hang on, hang on. And we kind of, they make some people feel like we're just kind of being a wet blanket. Come on, I'm trying to be excited. May 21st is coming. December 12th is coming. You know, and hang on. Let's look at what the scripture says. Then what happens is somebody sets their hope up falsely. They get disappointed, and they go to the other ditch, and they go the other direction and say, I'm just not going to think about it anymore. But a godly balance, a righteous balance, is for you to believe in faith that while you don't know the day or the hour, you know he is coming soon, and you expect it, and you look forward to it anxiously. You wait for it. You don't get disappointed. And Peter said this, and this is going to help you. 
He said, guys, people are going to fall away saying, where's the promise of his coming? We've been hearing it since, you know, our forefathers have said it, and it still hasn't happened. And Peter said this. He said it by the Spirit of God. He said, don't think that God is slow. God's not slow as we count slowness for a thousand years. It's like a day to him. But he says this. He says, you think he's slow, but I'm going to tell you he's patient because he desires all men to come to repentance and come to the knowledge of him. What he's saying is, you might think God's taking his time. Jesus is taking his time coming back. But he is patient because he's giving us an opportunity to bring more and more people to him, to bring more and more people with us when we get to go. That's what he's waiting for. That's what he's holding on for. So let's go ahead and do our part. Thank God the adoption papers are signed. Tickets been booked. Stage one complete. Stage two yet to come. You've been adopted. And yet you're revealing the day of your fulfilling, the day of your revealing, the day when you get a new body is yet to come. And what a glorious day it's going to be because you're going to look like Jesus. In case you were nervous about what you'd look like, you'll look like him. Does that mean there's, we're all going to look the same? How are we going to know the difference? That's not what it means. Come on. <laughs> Women aren't going to just all of a sudden have beards or whatever, you know? <laughs> Think of it more like a change of species. <laughs> but the truth is, if you were to ask me, well, what in the world? Be more specific. What do we look like? I will refer you to the scripture that says, we don't know what we will look like. <laughs> but we know when we see him, we will be like him, for we see him just as he is. We are now the children of God, but there is a day when we will look like the children of God, not just inside, but outside as well.